The Sisters Grimm podcast is intended for mature audiences only. Please, listen at your own discretion. Blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. The most notorious serial killer in the nation, the Light Stalker. The Boston Strangler. The Son of Sam, the infamous Zodiac Killer. What's your favorite scary movie? Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? <laughs> Get away from her, you bitch! <laughs> It's 2020, baby, and I'm all about getting in shape and going to the gym. And my new favorite gym accessories are my Studio Tulv earbuds. We love Studio, and we've been talking about them for years. You don't have to be a gym goer to enjoy their Tulv earbuds. With their wireless earbuds, you can now bring your music wherever life takes you and enjoy unrivaled sound that makes you feel like you're center stage. They are extremely cute in their ultralight charging cases. You can take them anywhere. You can go to studio.com to get 15% off your entire order using code GRIM with two M's at checkout. That's right, Morgan. That's GRIM for 15% off. Everybody's back again. And by everybody, I mean Holly and me. Me and Holly. Sisters Grim Podcast. Hey guys, it's the Sisters Grim Podcast. That was some great freestyling by Morgan. Yeah, I just Freebird. Holly just pointed at me and for a second I forgot what we were doing all together, and then that's what you got. And that's what you got. And that's what you get when you let your heart win. Yeah. I don't know Yeah, that was gorgeous, Morgan. Uh, Thank you. So hopefully I sound better in these episodes because Morgan told me I basically need to be like tonguing the microphone. No, you just need to have the mic in your face because usually we use this like other kind of a mic that like will pick up both of our voices really well. But right now we're using actual like studio mics because we're at our dad's house and he, for some reason, y'all, if you live in the greater Ottawa, really just the east side of Ottawa. If you live on our street. Yeah. There is a radio station. It is 101.3 and it plays just... 103.1. 103.1. No, 101.3. 103.1. This is... It's not important. I'm looking at it and it's 101.3. Well, what do you know, Morgan? I think you're right. I know. That's what it, that's the broadcaster. So, yeah. So, we're Any sitting result. in our dad's thing, which we have been, because, hey, guess what? We're still quarantined. And by thing, Morgan means like a an attic. attic uh, well, an attic recording studio. Yeah. Which is cool. Um, I mean, I think we can do this every episode. Let's name something weird that we're looking that at. We see. Mm, I okay. see... Um, a VHS tape of a... Of a... Um, Christian like video series called McGee and Me. Shout out to any other people who watch that. I right now my view is of Holly, the windows, and our parents' tax information as far back as I think ninety five. That's good. <clears throat> do other yeah. people do their tax? That seems Mom like and an dad just keep it in shoeboxes. I mean, don't like they're twenty. Don't fix what ain't broken. They're 2016, I think. Those are the shoes that I've been wearing. The memory of Yeah, no, we got some Bruno <laughs> Marks. We've got Bruno some Marks. Sperry's. Sperry's. Maybe they... Uh, and just a lot of old this clothes. This is not 
Interesting. So, this podcast episode is about unsolved missing persons. I know we talked a little bit before about, in the beginning of the quarantine, how we were, like, bummed and didn't want to talk about, like, basically true crime. But, you know, we are a true crime podcast, so. Yeah, well, it was just, it wasn't that we didn't want to talk about it. It's just all the research that you have to do and all the things that you read or watch or anything. It's kind of a bummer. I cried this morning. Yeah, no, totally. I cry at least once a day now. Well, I meant specifically from research, but... Right, no. Just in general. Yeah. I mean, I think we realize that this is going to be a long time, you guys, and, like, we better get over it, and plus, like, the world is stupid, and, like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. we gotta get some true crime yeah. going on. Even though movie stuff is fun, too, right? Well, yeah, no. Uh, very fun. Morgan and I, spoiler alert, uh, we're gonna have an episode coming out in the future, depending on how quickly we get through these B-horror movies. Yeah, we're gonna do a B-horror movie one we're mostly just watching movies from the 70s and 80s right now. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's when they all were. Yeah. Um, cool. So, cool. anyways, starting it out, like we said, unsolved missing persons. Fucking sad. Very. So, legally, a missing person is defined as a person who is 18 years or older, whose disappearance is possibly non-voluntary, or a child whose whereabouts are unknown to the child's legal guardians. Yes. On the average, there are over 85,000 people missing in the U.S. at any time. I'm wondering now, after I've written down these stats, because I took these notes a while ago. Yeah, we were going to do this podcast, like, I don't know, at the, like, Sep- maybe still in 2019. It was September. Because we switched and I did, did something these else. notes at my old job. And that was in oh, September. my God. Yeah. Like, That's crazy. It's weird now, because, I mean, it's only been four episodes, but, like, we're being very consistent now. Granted, we have all the time in the fucking well, world. Well, that's the reason we're being so consistent is because, you know, we're both furloughed right now. Right. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm curious if maybe these numbers are going down because no one is leaving their house, therefore no one can get kidnapped. Maybe. Um, so my basis of kidnap knowledge is strictly from Maria's mom on Facebook because all she posts... Shout out Monica. Grace of Ottawa. Yeah, all she posts. Oh, she's so cool. She's nothing like Nancy. Um, But she only posts missing persons things. And she posts usually about seven or eight a day. And lately, I haven't seen very many. So maybe you're right. Maybe that means, yeah. Or maybe I'm very wrong. Well, based purely on the Monica Granatis scale of missing persons. Um, So. Another interesting fact, although kind of a shitty fact, is that the media tends to focus on attractive white blonde women that have gone missing. I will get into. Not necessarily blonde. Well, I mean, white, attractive, younger, um, but more so than any other demographic because of society's obsession with damsels in distress. Yeah. And it's called the missing white woman syndrome. Mm -hmm. A person can be declared dead in absentia or legally dead after being listed as missing for seven years. But in certain cases, such as mass disasters like Mm 9-11, the time is reduced because there's more of a likelihood that they died. Or like, you know, um, if a boat sinks. Clearly. Anything like that. Anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, It varies by state by state. But in Illinois, it's seven years. Um, One of the most famous missing person cases was the Lindbergh baby, Mm -hmm. who um, on March 1st, 1932, was stolen from his crib. Um, There was a ransom. March, I will just say, a shitty month. Also, a month when a lot of disappearances happen, at least in my stories. Wow. That's very interesting. And March was a really shitty month. It's when it starts year. getting a little bit nicer out and people are like, let's kidnap. <laughs> let's like kidnap. Yeah. No. That's, it's like let's in, not the, do that. in the bling ring when they're like, I want to rob. <laughs> it's like, 
<laughs> Let's go kidding. shopping. Stop. <laughs> okay, so anyway, sad story of the Lindbergh baby. Yeah. Um, his parents, even though they paid the ransom, the baby's body was found 72 laters, but this tragedy inspired Congress. 72 laters. 72 days later. 72 laters. I'm very sorry, you guys. I'm going crazy. But wasn't the Lindbergh baby an accident? They didn't mean to kill it? Um... I don't remember those details. Oh, I'm but pretty sure that was the thing, is that they, they were going to give it back, and then they killed it. That could be very true, Morgan. Um, I don't know. But regardless, this tragedy inspired Congress to pass the Federal Kidnapping Act, also known as the Lindbergh Law, which makes kidnapping across state lines a federal offense. When did the Amber Alert get created? After that girl Amber got taken. No, I know. But, like, is that different? Yes. That is just war- That's letting the community know that there is a child missing. Yeah. Um, there's also, like, silver alerts, and that's usually with some, like, a older people. an older person. Yeah. Mm. So this, I thought, was very interesting. The top ten states with the most missing people are Arkansas, Hawaii, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, Nevada, Washington, Oregon, Arizona, and the number one state, Alaska. You want to know Why? Because, because there's, there's so much open terrain. That's what I was thinking. There's too, so much un, especially Alaska. There's so much unlived area that no one's going yeah. to that people are putting bodies. Yeah, Arkansas, they're just dead in the Ozark somewhere. Hawaii, yeah. who the fuck knows? They probably oh, fell yeah. off the island. <laughs> probably. Well, yeah. So much like people just in the ocean dead. Well, yeah, and Washington vampires. Uh, Obviously, Oregon hipsters. Come yeah. on, I don't fucking know. <laughs> Arizona, it's hot. Alaska, Arizona, there's it's so cold. much like area. Like, yeah. a lot of Arizona is just desert that no one goes to ever, and they shouldn't. So, I would have thought California was though, but that's just me. Uh, or New York, I don't know. Just places where you think that, just places that have more crime, but they also have more population, so more people are finding the bodies of dead people. T. So. Because most missing persons, so cases that never get solved, it's often because they're dead somewhere and you're just never going to find them because whoever did it did a really good job at hiding it. That happened with Ted Bundy. There were several bodies that even of known people that he killed and that he was, uh, you know, convicted of, they never found the bodies. Yeah. So my first story I called Bittersweet Betrayal. You named it? I named it. Because uh, this story is about um, Frank Brock of E.G. Brock and Sons Candy Company, or simply Brock's. If you've never heard of Brock's Candy, it's like the candy you'd find at like your grandma's or like your great aunt's house, and you would like look at it and taste it, and you're like, "This is not candy." Like peppermints are not candy. Oh yeah. Like what about those like hard strawberry candies though? I'm pretty sure they're Brock's. Oh, those are good as. That is an unpopular opinion. I hate those. Grandma always had those, and I loved them. Aunt B, Aunt Eddie Rue, all of the gr- all of <laughs> anyone. It's like when you turn sixty, they give you a bag of Brock's yeah, candy. Yeah, right. All of the women in our life had those. Oh, a hundred percent. And Except like Nana, I don't think they ever ate them because they just congealed into an entire. Blob. It was more for a look. It was like their packaging was cute, and they looked like nice in your house. They look like cute. People do that now with like sugar fina. Those are the ones we have all over the house right now. True. The Easter egg candies. True. So um, I actually found out about this one because I had a different story, but it wasn't as interesting. It was about this pilot who went missing and they thought it was aliens and that was like it. So um, I literally was like in my closet 
I was literally in my closet. I was in my closet and I was trying to reach for something and a bunch of stuff fell on me, including a book. <laughs> that sounds very your life. Yeah. Go on. Including a book called Unsolved Crimes by Kirk Wilson. OMG. I love this, I knew, like, yeah. organic finding. I know. And, like, I knew I had that book somewhere, but, like, it literally hit me, like, in the sternum. <laughs> um, and so I opened it up, and the first page said Chicago, and I was like... I live there. (laughs) And then what I read was one of the craziest, like, whodunit red herring true crime stories I have ever read. I'm excited. You should be. So in 1950, Frank Brock, who was kind of a piece of shit, he divorced his wife of 17 years so he could marry a redheaded hat check girl from Miami, Florida named Helen Voorhees. Damn, she She sounds hot. Right? Um, She was a small town girl who grew up in Ohio and she was 22 years younger than him. 20 years previous to this, Frank divorced his first wife because he hit her. He also hit his second wife, so... Uh, so that he knew a judge would grant them a divorce because this was before no-fault divorce, so you could only get divorced if you or the person you were married to did something that a judge would constitute as reasonable for divorce. Mm -hmm. So despite all of his divorces, Frank uh, and the candy company was flourishing because people need their candy corn. Mm -hmm. Um, So Helen went from living paycheck to paycheck to being married to a multimillionaire. At first, she was still her humble self and preferred her friends back home uh, from Iowa, I'm sorry, Ohio, than the socialites of Chicago. The couple uh, moved to a huge home in Glenview, which is a suburb outside of Chicago, and around the same time, they hired a chauffeur named Jack Matlick, who over time kind of became like the HBIC in terms mm-hmm. of like controlling and organizing the house, like a butler situation sort of. So from all accounts, Frank and Helen had a very happy marriage. He indulged her with anything she wanted. She had candy-colored luxury cars. Frank also changed the Brock's logo to pink, which was Helen's favorite color. Mm. And um, he was very nice and sent uh, money to Ohio for Helen's family. Like, anything they needed. Yeah, that was nice. Um, In 1970, Frank died and left Helen $21 million, which is about $150 million. But the money was in a trust, which was watched over by Frank's accountant. But Helen had access to it at any time, but she never took out large sums of money, and she never showed any interest in spending a lot. She's not like a Menendez Brothers situation, where she did not go out and buy a Cheesecake Factory factory (laughs) franchise. Um, Partially because of her humble upbringing was the reason for this uh, in Ohio. Um, When she did spend large sums of money, it was because she gave to charities for animals because she was obsessed with animals. And she had a lot of little dogs, and some of their names were Sugar, Candy, Lovey, Tinkerbell, and Beauty. I just thought that was cute because I love dogs. Same. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Helen wasn't really into the Chicago late night scene. Would love to know what the Chicago late night scene was there, though. Um, so she spent a lot of time at home. And when Frank died, she rarely left the house and she stopped really doing anything altogether. So the chauffeur, Jack, took over all the household duties. While Heather, little Helen didn't like going out, she loved talking on the phone to all of her friends who were in Ohio and Florida because she worked there. Um Wait, you she, said she was from Miami, right? 
Well, that's where he met her. Yeah. She was working down in Miami, Miami. Okay. <laughs> Miami. Welcome to Miami. Will Smith, anybody? Um, she also became very spiritual, and she would call psychic hotlines. About three years after Frank died, Helen began dating a younger man whose name was Richard Bailey. He raised and sold horses in Morton Grove, Illinois. I used to work there. Mm-hmm. Um, Isn't that where Machete Girl happened? No, that was Niles. No, yeah, that was Niles by Skokie. Anyway. Any whoozle. Um, I also didn't realize the horse racing world was so brutal. This is kind of like a Tiger King but horses situation. Okay. A little bit, kind Tell of. Tell me more. Um, so... Horse traders in the Chicago area at the time would have, like, bloody feuds with one another. They would burn um, each other's barns down. They would poison each other's horses. And sometimes people were killed. Wow. So no one knows exactly if Richard Bailey was involved with any of that shit, but we do know that he had a reputation of selling horses at ridiculous prices to older women. And Helen bought quite a few horses from Richard. Hmm. And he sold her one who ended up being unable to be a racehorse. And one time she paid for a horse and she never even got the horse. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's okay. why you don't do business with like your boy. Um, Helen uh, was becoming concerned with her health and she didn't want anyone in Chicago to see her going to the hospital. So because she was still probably a pretty big name. I mean, yeah, like we said, Brock's candy. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> she was basically a Kardashian. <laughs> so she didn't want to worry the Chicago people or like be bothered by them, I guess. So she went up to Rochester, Minnesota and Richard Bailey had connections, which ensured she would get attention at the Mayo Clinic, which is apparently very hard to get into. Um, regardless of how much money you have. What is she sick with? They don't say. Okay. Just like probably the times. I don't know. Right. Who knows? Uh, Once Helen was told she was perfectly healthy, she started making her way back to Chicago, and she had reservations on a Northwest Airlines flight at 3 p.m. Her ticket was used, but none of the flight crew saw someone matching the description of Helen, who was very hard to miss because she was very tall, very fancy, and like I said, had bright ass red hair and probably gorgeous and fucking gorgina were there any photos i didn't find any but i bet there are morgan Aww. um love that so anyways jack the houseman said he picked up helen from o'hare airport and drove her to the house in glenview but she was crabby because he didn't drive one of her nicer cars he drove a lowly jeep which okay He's like, I don't know. I hope she didn't say that because that's really rude. Morgan and I both drive Jeeps. Just kidding. I don't have a car. So <laughs> You had a Jeep. I had a Jeep. When Helen was out of town, Jack would stay at the house in Glenview to watch over everything. Otherwise, he lived on a farm in Schaumburg, Illinois with his family. Aww. As I mentioned before, Helen talked on the phone. No farms in Schaumburg now. Uh-uh. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe there are. No, there's just a bunch of people from like Malls. sports teams who live there. Malls, just the one. <laughs> right. Anywho, closed. Canceled. Yeah, um, all malls. So, like I said, Helen talked on the phone like all damn day. And though many outgoing calls came to the house, Helen never answered. Jack answered and would tell them that she was in the tub or unavailable. The only caller who claimed to have actually spoken to Helen ended up being unreliable because she was very old and had a very horrible memory. But mm. in her defense, Jack was answering the phone and was probably like, Hello, this is Helen. <coughs> Oh my god, that's fucking funny. Yeah, we'll just keep that cough in there. I was taking a drink when you said that. Yeah, it's cool. We'll keep it in. So, 
About a week after Helen had been missing, Jack says he drove her to O'Hare because she was going to Florida to buy a condo, but there were gaping holes in his story. He says he dropped Helen off two hours before her flight, but people said she would never have done that because she hated waiting. Also, he said <laughs> she only brought one carry-on, and this was a woman who traveled with, like, all her shit, like, Rose from Titanic style. Okay. Like... I mean, she's kind of sounds like Rose Earthing. from Titanic. I kind of live for her. Tall, sexy, red hair. Hells yeah. I don't know how tall Kate Winslet is, but anywho, all. She's up there with Leo. Yeah. Uh, she, T. Um, it was found out that Helen had actually never bought a ticket to Florida. No crew member or ticket agent remembers seeing her, and no one in Florida had been told that she was coming, opposed to what she usually did, which was call everyone she knew in Florida to let them know that she was coming. <laughs> Every single person. She just goes through the phone book, and she's like, all right, Abernathy. Hey, guys, it's Helen. Guess who's coming home? Okay, Aberdeen. Hey, y'all. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's as far as I'm going to go with names. So, anywho. Um, over the weekend, someone signed Helen's name on multiple checks that added up to $15,000, and all of them were made out to Jack Mitlick. But uh, after um, some graphologists examined the handwriting, it was proven that it was not the handwriting of Helen's, which we know isn't super reliable, but I'm guessing right. Helen and Jack's handwriting was significantly different. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, come on, just like... Occam's razor. She probably had that like long, beautiful cursive that looks like she's barely touching the paper. The lightest, and he probably just like pushes down on pencils as hard as he can and breaks them, and it's just dark. Yeah, no, he holds it like you hold like an ice pick. Yeah, <laughs> and he just like angrily scribbles. Yes, so. Um, it was inconclusive of whether or not it was Jack's handwriting, and Jack argued that it didn't look like Helen's normal handwriting because she had conveniently hurt her hand recently. Hmm. They're like, yeah, it doesn't explain the fact that it looks like a child did this. It's This is in crayon. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, Jack's... This is a dog's paw print. <laughs> <laughs> this is a horse hoof. <laughs> Jack Matlick was one of the police's main suspects. After Jack and his wife divorced, the wife, Joyce, spoke with police about what she knew. She said that she received multiple calls um, on the day of Helen's disappearance. Jack told her that he was staying at the house all weekend, and as he would usually do if Helen was away, but Joyce said that he came home on Sunday night and told her he was driving Helen to the airport in the morning. She also told the police that Jack began giving her $100 bills for groceries, and he had usually given her checks, but she didn't bother asking questions because their marriage was already kind of rocky at the time, and she was just happy that he wasn't home. Some other weird shit happened the day Jack supposedly dropped Helen off at O'Hare for her Florida trip. On his way back, he took her car to a com uh, to be completely detailed inside and out. Hmm. So he was... That's uh, usually a pretty telltale sign. Even the luminol would still see blood. I don't but know. But there was not luminol then. Well, there may have been. I I don't. No, they had luminol in the 70s. They had oh, it in the, the 60s. 70s? Oh, okay. Yeah. Also, is Jack her husband? Or I thought Jack was the guy who worked at the house. It is. Her husband is dead now. Okay, right. Sorry. I got confused. It's cool. Um, so, like I said, um, some other weird shit happened. Because he hired two decorators who came to the house, 
Helen's house, that is, mm-hmm. to repaint two walls and replace mm-hmm. carpet. And all of the workers said they didn't see anything as suspicious. It's just very suspicious due to the circumstances of the mm-hmm. events. Yeah. So another issue was with a man named Belton Mora who worked with the Animal Protective Institute in California. And he was constantly calling Helen, demanding the donation that they were expecting from her. A week after Helen went missing, Jack Matlick went to the police to file a report, um, but was told only a family member could file a missing persons report. So Jack called Helen's brother, Charles Voorhees, to come and file the report. Charles was in Ohio at the time, and he didn't get into Illinois until Helen had been missing for almost 10 days. So because of that lack of, like, we all know that that is a very crucial time and when a person person goes missing um before jack and charles went to the police they went to helen's home and burned all of helen's journals in a furnace charles said that he found a note on top of the journals written by helen that said burn these in case anything happens to me wow yeah wow yeah charles told police that helen had bought him cars a home and paid the family's medical expenses and for his children's college tuition and told them that if she was still around, she wouldn't just stop sending him money. She was very close to her family, and taking care of them seemed to be one of her top priorities. Right. So why would she just suddenly <clears throat> cut off paying yeah. for them? There were uh, there was also an issue with Belton Morris from the protective uh, animal protective institution, who was desperately in need of Helen's donation, but was eventually arrested for fraud because the IRS. Uh, reported that Bolton was setting up his pet charity just to get money Mm. and uh, he would spend the money on himself instead so another piece of shit over the years the court authorized increasingly higher rewards for anyone who had any kind of information about Helen's disappearance but no one ever came forward a year after being missing the court wanted to search Helen's home to see if she had left any sort of will and they found one in the kitchen cabinet there was nothing that indicated whether or not the will was authentic or not because anyone who would have benefited from Helen dying was going to receive everything they wanted according to Helen's will. Charles was still going to get money for his family. Jack Matlick was still going to get money as well as the rest of the money. So she had people taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest of the money was going to go to her dogs and to legitimate dog charities. Plus, everyone included in the will would have benefited more if Helen was alive than if she was dead, so why kill her? Right. Um, One of the weirder slash less believable theories is that Helen was ground up in a meat grinder and fed to her dogs. That's always one of the theories. And Like I said, it's very uh, Tiger King. Yeah. Um, But this is unlikely because the meat grinder in uh, question was just a blender attachment, plus Helen weighed 160 pounds and she had like very small dogs um the more believable possibility was investigated by lawyer john caldwater mink who thought helen was killed within a few hours after leaving the mayo clinic and never even made it to the airport in minnesota as i mentioned earlier helen really liked buying horses and she had bought at least 12 from richard bailey and his brother in 1979, when Richard Bailey was questioned by the police, he pled the fifth for every single question they asked, including his address and whether or not he was married. Hmm. Which are weird things to plead the fifth for, because how could you perjure yourself? He probably thought he was just being, like, cool or, like, charming or, like, something stupid. Exactly. Um, the case was reopened in 1989 because the police had more information regarding Bailey as being responsible for Helen's disappearance. A really nasty dude named Silas Jane who was once an incredibly wealthy horse 
perpetrator and friends with Bailey was in prison for killing his brother in 1970. Mm. Police found that Helen had bought at least three horses from Silas and was threatening to go to authorities because of he overpriced the horses that he had sold to her. And according to Silas's cellmate at Vienna Correctional Center, he said that uh, uh, Silas had told him all of this. And he said that Bailey had hired Silas to kill Helen. And then when his cellmate was going to be paroled, Silas supposedly paid him to take the body from Illinois and bury it in Minnesota. And he took the police to a bunch of places, but no body was ever found. Mm. So kill for hire. Why do people do that? Like, and not to say that maybe he was like in on it, but I feel like people just randomly like to pretend like they know what happened in these kind of cases. Oh, a hundred percent. Because they want attention. Like powerful and yeah, their attention. Exactly. Horse. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's pretty disgusting. Yeah. Um, so eventually Bailey was charged with conspiring with other horse dealers to kill Helen, although he was never convicted of Helen's murder, but he was sentenced to life imprisonment for defrauding Helen and the judge made it clear that the sentence also reflected evidence that Bailey was involved in a conspiracy to kill Helen. Mm -hmm. So even though he wasn't convicted for anything regarding Helen other than fraud, he was like, know that this is also because we know you killed her. Mm -hmm. Um, So we still don't know where Helen's body is and we don't know what happened to her because everyone involved in that is dead. Yeah. So they, yeah, it's a cold case and yeah. Damn. Yeah, and so that's the bittersweet story of the bra. I would have never thought that bra candy had such yeah a crazy a crazy colorful past. Yeah, candy's colorful, and so is their past. Let's take a little break. Hey, are you working from home with thousands of distractions during the quarantine? Studios Twelve Earbuds will be your best friend. The Tolf earbuds feature a graphene driver for enhanced sound clarity. They also have automatic pairing between the earbuds and your device. Tolf features a microphone on both earbuds so you can use them for conference calls or FaceTiming those you can't see right now. Get 15% off your whole purchase using our code GRIM. That's G-R-I-M-M with two M's like I just said <laughs> at checkout for 15% off. That's one Thanks. five. back ready morgan i sure am so the next story i'm gonna tell is a very famous one perhaps one of the most famous missing persons cases of of our our generation for sure definitely um and that is of natalie holloway so during this time period like you were saying this is kind of like the early to mid to even kind of the late 2000s people were getting really obsessed with true crime specifically with missing persons cases people loved like following them on the news like that was people's like entertainment which is crazy but that's true that's kind of how the whole true crime obsession really started in that time period because there were so many documentaries being made and so much media coverage and um, especially in the early 2000s, like you were saying, there was the missing white women were becoming really Syndrome. huge. Yeah. Chandra Levy, uh, Lacey Peterson, who we talked about in this podcast, they both went missing in 2002. And people thought that they were so obsessed with these cases, almost to the point of exclusion of other missing persons cases. Totally. But none were more covered than Natalie's case. Because it's crazy, isn't it? It's pretty crazy. Let's, let's dive in. 
Natalie Holloway was born October 21st, 1986 in Memphis, Tennessee to mother Beth and father Dave and had a brother named Matt. Friends and family called her Hootie Hoo Holloway. They said that she was an extremely remarkable girl, very intelligent and strong-willed, and she was a straight-A student, and she was supposed to go to the University of Alabama fall of 2005. What was she going to study? I think medical. I I think think... she wanted to be a doctor. Oh, man. In May of 2005, Natalie was on a, um, like, senior trip for her school, and they went to Aruba, which is an island in the Caribbean. And on May 30th, 2005, Natalie was due to fly back home because it was only like a four day trip. Mm -hmm. She was due to fly back home from her trip, but never made the flight. Immediately, search parties began. Both her mother and her father, who were divorced now at this time, they came to the island to search. They literally brought like all of their like friends and family from Alabama with them, too. And that's expensive. They That's were really pretty expensive. well off. So That's good. Beth, well, at least they had the means stand. Okay, she remarried and definitely like they were wealthy for sure. And so, like I said, they brought like all of their friends and family like to start search parties. They also um, like gathered people from Aruba to help in their search party. Totally, people obviously really wanted to help. And um, they may have seen something, right? And Natalie, both the parents. were quoted saying like we thought we were going to get there and it was like a really small island and that it would be really easy to search but like as soon as they got there they're like this place is huge yeah because it doesn't seem that big i think i saw something and it's only like six miles across yeah it doesn't sound big but there's a lot going on yeah um natalie was last seen at a carlos and charlie's in oran stant which is a bar on the island um, the drinking age also in Aruba is 18. So they were obviously all drinking, kind of partying, having a good time. There's also like footage of them like gambling at a casino, which will come up a little bit more later. Okay. So Natalie was last seen driving off from Charles, uh, Carlos and Charlie's. Like all of her friends saw her leaving with three men. The men were two brothers named Deepak and Satish Kalpo. And a boy named Johan Vandersloot. Oh boy. Heard that. Johan Vandersloot, he, like I said earlier when I was talking about casinos, he was obsessed with casinos. He was obsessed with gambling, all of that kind of stuff. And like I said, when there's video evidence of Natalie in a casino, she's there with him. Oh. And, um,. Like, they had all of that information from the people saying that was the last person that she was seen with, as well as the, like, video evidence of them together. And that was enough evidence for the local police to, like, question him. Um, And when they came to his parents' house that day, the same car that was the last car Natalie was seen in was in the driveway. Joran explained that he and Natalie had hooked up, but that he had dropped her off at the Holiday Inn that she was staying at, like, right in the front. He claims that he... When he dropped her off, she got out of the car, fell, hit her head, and then two security guards helped her, and he never saw her again. So he just left her with the security guards in yes, his story? but this is the first of many stories that Vandersloot is going to tell. Oh, no. We have no. no idea what really happened. That's not good. Immediately, Natalie's parents attempt to file a missing persons report like as soon as they get to the island. However, the Arubian officials are basically like, don't worry, this happens all the time. She'll turn up. I they always hate turn up. that. I hate that. 
Yeah, hate they that. did not take it seriously enough soon enough. That is like the number one thing. The Holiday Inn surveillance footage, uh, once they viewed it, at no point ever did you see Natalie go in through the front that night. So we know that that first thing was a lie. Oh, so she never even went, there's no evidence that she even went back to the hotel. There's no evidence that she was dropped off in the front, which is what they said happened. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Okay, so by day 10 of Natalie's disappearance, the three boys were officially arrested. However, um, this means that they were given 10 days to lawyer up, make sure that all their stories matched matched, up, and that they were able to clean up any mess they had made. That's... Not good. Stupid. Yeah, that's really bad. So then the next story that Jorhan told was that he and Natalie went to the beach and that they were like hooking up. And he was also always very like gratuitous with his explaining of how like what they did when they were hooking up. Hate like that. to his parents. Like to her parents. That's that's fucking yeah. with the victim. Ugh, it's disgusting. That's gross. He's very gross. I would like to point that out. I think but, so. But um he said that they went to the beach, hooked up, whatever. And then basically that, like, they were so drunk and that she fell asleep and he couldn't wake her up. So he just left her there asleep. That's a piece of shit thing to do. Totally. None of these men look good. No, not at all. None stories. None of these stories. None stories. So it's also good to know that Joran's father was an attorney and he was also training to be a judge. Oh. So a lot of people thought that he was being protected by the, the government, yeah, basically. basically. Well, that sucks, dick. <laughs> yeah. And so, like I said earlier, this was an extremely sensationalized story. And people on the island of Aruba at first were obviously wanting to help. Like, they really wanted to help search. Yeah, totally. And they were doing everything they could. Like, they had huge search parties every single day, like, constantly looking for her. Um all over the island, but around this time when it was getting, like, so media-heavy and, like, there were so many, like, news people there, they started getting mad and they were like, leave. Like, we don't want you all here anymore. That makes completely sense. Um, Do you, um, what is the, like, terrain like in Aruba? So, I mean, it's tropical, but also it's, it's, a, it's been, like, bulldozed. It's mostly just a lot of big hotels, big nice oh, okay. houses. Also, not so nice houses, you know, right. like anywhere. Okay. But it's 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 beachy. <laughs> okay, for sure. Totally. I would say it's that of, like, Hawaii, but not as much, because the whole island has pretty much been... I also don't know. I've never been there, but from all of the... Yeah. I watched, like, a lot of videos, and they did a of lot it. of shots. It's beautiful. Right. Um, it seems pretty, really pretty touristy. But so, the Aruban continue. officials claimed that all of this media coverage really got in their way of being able to do anything about this. I mean, I get it. That is totally true. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, but that's just what always happens. Well, not always, but a lot of the time. Right. And so, like I said, at this time, uh, Jorhan, Deepak and Satish were all in jail. However, there was not enough evidence to hold them. But only the two brothers were released. Um, and they were actually never even charged. That's why really? so they all, I think the brothers got like called in three different times. Okay. But every time they had to get released because they were never officially charged. And oh. so because they were never charged, the people of Aruba also got really, really mad because Natalie, uh, Natalie's mom, Beth, was now starting to go on a lot of news shows to talk about things. And she kept calling them criminals. And so they were like 
basically taking it like you are calling all of us criminals. They're not criminals. They have not been charged with anything. You can't call them criminals. Right. Um, she can still call them that if she wants to. Totally. But the Arubian people were very not happy. I get it. That's what I'm trying to say. I get it. So something else crazy that happened in 2005 was Hurricane Katrina. Oh, no. Which happened in August. So Natalie went missing May 30th. This happened in August. And this obviously... Fucked everything up. Turned the tides, no pun intended, of media coverage. And now Natalie wasn't getting, as obviously, as much media coverage as she was. Because every news outlet anywhere was reporting on... On Katrina. Of course, because it was... Like, one of the biggest hurricanes oh, we've ever had in the U.S. It was horrible. And the yeah. everything involved with Katrina was, oh, God. I can't even imagine. Well, exactly. And so that all happened. And, uh, like, I mean, Beth was basically like, everyone just forgot about Natalie and, like, stopped mm. caring. And I think at that time is also when they, like, kind of just, like, officially were like, well. Well, they didn't, like, officially say she was dead, but they called, like, they officially, like, called off the search for her. Okay. Yeah. Or that it might have been later, but it was about that time. And then also around the same time, Jorhan was officially released from jail. Okay. Also never charged. And there's never enough evidence. There was literally like no evidence because her body was yeah, never no body. found. Like I think they I'm sure they they definitely checked the car because I saw a video of them like taking the car in, but other than like because I mean they were like, Yeah, she was in the car, but like I don't think her blood or anything was in the car. Yeah, I mean if yeah, just because she was in the car doesn't necessarily mean that they killed her. Yeah. So around this time, Beth actually decides to go on Dr. Phil and Dr. Phil basically and also um, Bob O'Reilly were very much so on the like wagon of like boycotting Aruba as Americans because Aruba's like number one way they make money is tourists. Yeah. And so they were basically like starting a like boycott Aruba because they're not helping us. So no America should go to Aruba. Yeah. So that happened also. Okay, now, and at this point, Jorhan's gross ass decides that he wants a little attention about all of this because he's clearly a fucking sociopath, psychopath. Oh, he sounds like a huge narcissist. 100% hot dogs. He starts going to America and talking, like, like in New York and going to different, like, talk shows and, like, talking about, like, how they were just, like, flirty and, like, he doesn't know anything and, like, all this crazy dumb shit. So five years later, almost to the day, March 29th of 2010, Jorhan reaches out to Beth's lawyer, whose name is John Kelly, and he basically proposes that if the Holloway family, Beth specifically, gives him $250,000, he will basically, like, tell them where Natalie is. Okay. That's, like, okay. That's enough to be, like... Okay, well, how about you get arrested for knowing that information and withholding it? Instead of that, and like I said, he was a gambler. And this is basically like his way he thought he was going to be able to like give info. Was he he did literally not know said when to hold ter- up. He literally said the phrase, gotta pay to play. I hate him. Uh-huh. And he's a Rubian? No, he's actually Dutch. What? But his family moved to Aruba. Oh, Yeah, okay. Vandersloot. Oh, yeah, Doy Vanderslew. That's not very... No. That's not very... Uh, um, no. So he basically gave them, like, a bank account and were like, wire me this money. And Beth basically was like, 
he's never told the truth before, so I bet this isn't even a real fucking bank account. So she basically went to the bank and was just like, I'm going to deposit $100 to see if this is actually real. And it was, because the one thing he didn't lie about was getting money. Uh, and so once they realized that, it kind of gave her lawyer an idea, and he was basically like, okay, so then we can charge him with wire fraud, blackmail, extortion, exactly. and get him brought to the U.S. Hell yeah. So they called the FBI for a sting operation. Ooh, I love stings. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so her lawyer obviously went, met with him wearing a wire, and Johan, uh, so the, the I think he went to Johan with half of it, and then she wire transferred the other half to him. Okay. So they did give him the money. Like, they were like, here. You yeah. got the money. Okay. Um, And since Johan now has the money, he takes John to a location in Aruba, and he starts telling him well, another story. Uh, well, I was just saying, in order for them to charge him for extortion and all that stuff, they would have to pay him. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Good. I know. Uh, that's smart. Um, and I'm assuming she got it back somehow. Yeah. I, let's hope so. So the next story that Johan tells John was that he took Natalie to this area. They were fooling around. And then he decided he really wanted to go home. But she didn't and like either wanted to just stay there or she wanted to like go somewhere else and not go with him. So he says that he picked her up. And Physically? She, like, yeah. And she, like, struggled, and when she fell, she hit her head. Okay. And he said immediately he knew she was dead. Well, he is being consistent in saying that she hit her head. Maybe it was an accident, well, and then they had to dispose we're of We're going to find out why yeah. he said that, too. Oh, okay. Um, so then he basically turned, and there, or he goes, t- he then takes John to this house, and he basically says that... That Natalie's remains are literally cemented under this house. And he blames his dad, who now at this time is dead. Oh, The dad who was going to be a the judge. judge. He died, and so he blames it on his dad. Or he basically blames at least the cover-up on his dad. Wow, that's a pretty shitty thing to do. Mm-hmm. Don't throw dead daddy under the bus. Yeah, and so then I guess like a week or something passed passes, and the lawyer gets an email, and he was basically just like, everything I told you was a lie. None of that's true. Uh, yeah. Now this is where shit starts getting crazy. Not that it isn't already. Yeah, I was just going to say this but... has all been pretty yawa wiwa. Okay, so they wanted to arrest him because they wanted to extradite him to Amer- Alabama because oh. Beth is basically like I want this motherfucker arrested anyway he can be arrested and if he's going to be arrested in Alabama, that's great. Good. Yeah. Um but with all of the money that he has from Beth, he flees. Uh, to Peru. Do they not have extradition with America? There? Well, they didn't know he was there. Oh. So he goes to Peru, and he starts doing his same kind of thing, a.k.a. gambling, going to casinos. And where does he, who does he meet? Where does he meet? Who does he meet at the casino? A beautiful woman named Stephanie Flores. Oh. Stephanie Flores was an only daughter and her with like brothers uh-huh. and she was like her dad like loved her so much because he was like well he was a race car driver first of all and he was also a politician and she How also like I wanted to get into like being like a politics. politics and like she was really smart and like amazing but Stephanie's body was found dead oh. by an employee at a hotel called TAC which is in Peru. 
Oh. If you're not gathering what I'm saying, I'm saying that Jorhan killed her. So this hotel had so many cameras. So there was literally no way for him to not be guilty of this. Okay. Obviously, the last place she was ever seen was from the security camera directly. Like, literally, there they had a security camera, like, basically at his door. Oh. Yeah. And you see her go in. You never see her come out. But you do see Jorhan come out. Oh, boy. So initially, when the police came in and saw the body, they thought that he had stabbed her to death because there was so much blood. But he had actually just beat her to death. Her face was almost completely unrecognizable, which is probably why he said Natalie hit her head, because he probably beat her head in. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, but maybe. It's Um, a likely scenario, for sure. uh, She also had defensive wounds, which means that she Fought fought back. So, hell yeah, sister, fuck him. But obviously his fingerprints were everywhere, his DNA was everywhere. Like, um blood yeah pretty much so she also liked stephanie also really liked gambling she had actually won like a hundred thousand dollars or something like that hell yeah stephanie and so they at first thought that he was well i mean they don't know but they thought that he probably was trying to he did rob her i mean he took all of her money all of her winnings he took her wallet he took all of her money that's gross And he basically, during the time of staying in the hotel, was trying to, like, build an alibi. Okay. So he, at one point, leaves the room, and he goes to a place called Holly's Coffee. Oh, hey. Um, And then he came back holding two coffees, as though he was, like, going to get two coffees. And then he tries to pretend to lock himself out of the room. You see all of this in the security camera. Okay. He basically tries to make it seem like he locked himself out of his room, so he asks one of the people to come, like, open it. He's thinking that they're going to, like, open it and go in and then find her body and then be like, oh, my God, this must have happened when I was gone. But the guy just opened the door and, like, walked away, and he was like, fuck. Holy fuck. Yeah. So, um, like I said, it was, or I didn't actually say this, but her death was exactly five years to the date of the day that Natalie went missing. Wow. Because it happened March 30th, 2010. Wow. Which is also around the same time, I guess, that he was um, talking with the guy about getting the money or whatever. Uh Um, So after the whole trying to build his alibi thing doesn't work, he obviously just leaves and then the body is discovered. But during this time, he actually flees from Lima, Peru, because that's where he is right now, to Ica, Peru. Okay. And then once he gets there, he finds this taxi driver who seems like a great guy. His name's Willie. Um, <laughs> Love Willie. He was in the documentary that I watched. I also got a lot of this information from an ABC like special that's very much so about like Beth's journey with all of this. Okay. We love Beth. Um, and so then he flees from Ica, Peru and wants to go to another town called Nazca, which is a two-hour drive from Ica, which I'm guessing is probably even further. Or I think it's a two-hour drive from Lima, which is where he was originally. Okay. Uh, so Willie says that uh, after he dropped him off at the bus station in Nazca, he was, I guess, like parked in the same spot, and he comes back, and he's basically because he he told him that he wanted to go there to like meet up with a group of friends that he was traveling with, and that's where they were, so he needed to get there. Then he comes back to the car. Because he had dropped him at the bus stop. He comes back to the car and was basically like, I didn't, like, find him. Whoa. Or my friends aren't here. They left me. And so he paid $100 for that first two-hour ride. 
He then says that he wants Willie to take him to Tacna, which is basically on the border of Peru and Chile. And so that's about like a 10 hour drive. Oh, and he's basically like, wow. I'll pay you 500 American dollars, which to them is a lot, a lot of, of money. money. Yeah. And so then Willie and his brother Oswaldo, they take him there because they both are like taxi drivers. OK. In Peru. Um, they both claim that he smoked a lot and he kept rolling down the window to smoke and he kept being like, are we almost there? Are we almost there? Are we almost there? Like he was very like, like I hit the smell of cigarettes or we no, no, he he was saying. Uh, Johan kept being like, are we almost there? Are we almost oh, there? Oh, okay. But they were like, I guess at one point they were like, why are you smoking so much? And he was like, it's my thing. It's my thing. Fuck him. So now it's he's in thing. Chile. He had to actually cross the border and he does. He was obviously really afraid to cross the border because there was um, like Stephanie's dad was like not fucking around. And so he was like showing so many pictures of him to like all of the news people in Peru. And they were like, catch this motherfucker. But he somehow crossed the border to Chile. So Johan was finally caught in Chile. A toll booth operator actually spotted him and then instantly called and was like, yo, that guy that they keep showing pictures of on the news. He's here. He's like in this area. Come get him. While he was in prison, because he obviously was arrested for her murder, for Stephanie's murder, and okay. he was he was sentenced to twenty eight years in prison in Peru. Okay. While he was in prison in twenty seventeen, he basically admitted to killing Natalie, but then he took it back again because that's just what he fucking does. Uh, I hate people like that. Yeah, no back. He's one of these people too. One of these dudes in jail who got married no. and had a baby since he's been in jail. What the fuck? Yeah. Hate that. Um, and basically, he um, is, once he is done with his 28-year sentence in Peru, he automatically has to be extradited to Alabama to oh, face those charges. Fuck. Which is, I think, at least another 20 years. Damn. So, no, so I guess he's horrified to go to American prison because I guess Peru prison seems pretty nice because he just gets to do online gambling all day. What? That's yeah. so fucking bullshit. They, oh, that's horrible. That's fucking horrible. So um, Holly and I originally, when I like first decided to do this on Natalie, we started looking for just documentaries in general, and we found one on Oxygen that was called The Disappearance of Natalie Holloway. This one follows her father, and he is basically like been told... I'm not even going to say the dude's name, because... Like when we were talking earlier about those people who just want attention and they just pretend like they know things that they don't. This guy is basically that. And I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to give any more praise fuel to, to the him fire. or fuel, yeah, anything. But Beth is suing Oxygen and the producers of this specific uh, Show? Uh, documentary because during during the filming... Basically, they got the dad, Dave, who also, I mean, I don't blame him for doing this documentary. I think he wants answers, and I think he thought he was going to get them. Exactly. And he basically, without Beth's knowledge of the show, asked for her DNA sample because they thought they had found female remains in Aruba. Oh. And so without her knowing that, she got her DNA. But they can't the reason do she's that. suing is, well, that, and also because it was all bullshit, and it was a pig's skull that they had found. It was not a woman's remains. They did it all for the show. It was all fake. And she's basically suing them for, like, lying and for... I I don't remember exactly what it was Yeah, because that's not a a reason to think for... Yeah, that's really unfortunate. 
Sad. Yeah, but like I said, uh, he is going to be in jail for 28 years in Peru, and then he has to be immediately extradited to Alabama for the wire fraud blackmail, and so he's going to be in prison for a long time. Beth has now officially come to, like, peace with everything. She believes that she knows that Natalie is in heaven um, and that she has found peace in that. But I guess another thing that now Johan is saying is that he sold her into sexual slavery. That's really fucked up. That's another thing that he's saying, yeah. That's really fucked. That's just to get a... I don't know. So that is the missing... I mean, people are pretty sure that she's dead, but you literally never know. I mean, she's still technically missing if they don't know where her body is. Never have found her body. Yeah, that's really fucked up. Hopefully, it's a really sad story. It is, and I just think about her mom and her dad, and that's what like made me cry. Because yeah, no, think that makes me the most sad. Thinking like if I was kidnapped, I would be really upset over how uh, upset mom and dad would be, yeah. and you. So uh, to end things, maybe on a little happier note. Morgan has started a skin routine YouTube channel. No, I'm just doing it on my Instagram, which oh. is Morgan D. Freeberg. Follow me if you nasty. So if you want a face like Morgan Freeberg, <laughs> watch. Mm-hmm. If you want to see a post every once in a while, and maybe it's Tuesday, follow me at Holly Cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah, and then follow us collectively at the Sisters Grim Podcast and all of those other places. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank <laughs> you.